you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. What I always encourage founders is in that first meeting with the investor, they should be pitching you not just you pitching them. Like you should actually ask them like, you know, what do you feel you bring to the table for the startups where you're on the board? Like what kind of, what is, what is the advice you think you give the most, right? How often do you engage with your founders? You know, what is your involvement, you know, in raising the next round? How, you know, what are times when you've had to help a startup get out of a bind? Can you tell me that story? Um, and so I think it's really fair to, to flip the table and interview Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Rachel Olney. Rachel is founder and CEO of Geosite, a YC-backed startup that provides a software-as-a-service platform enabling customers across a wide suite of industries to leverage geospatial data. She instructs technology at National Security at Stanford, and Rachel was also selected for 30 under 30 enterprise technology list in 2020. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to Founders of AQ. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I have a lot of questions for you, but at first, just want to know your story. Could you tell us a bit your story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am an engineer by training. I actually did a bachelor's and master's in mechanical engineering. Um, and then I launched into a PhD that was still in the mechanical engineering department, but in what I like to call the, the meta engineers department. So it's the Center for Design Research. And we uh, study, it's a bunch of engineers study other engineers. Um, and so for my PhD, it was it was more organizational theory focused, uh, but housed in the engineering department. Um, and then, you know, I launched Geosite in 2017 uh, or started thinking about Geosite in 2017, really launched it in 2018. Um, 2019 is when we started growing the team. Um, and now we're we're almost 25 people. Perfect. And uh, your, your startup stories really match your background. And a lot of founders are struggling with founder startup fit. So could you tell us a bit your founder startup fit? Yeah. So for me, you know, the reason I started Geosite wasn't, you know, a, a specific, I know there are a lot of, especially founders that have a technical background, a lot of times they're starting companies around a technology they know really well, or some sort of product that they know they can build better than anybody else. Uh, for me, it was kind of the opposite. So I had, you know, a really intimate understanding of, you know, a handful of industries in combi- in a combination that I thought was really rare in the world. And so, you know, I started Geosite based on that, basically from my math Masters through my PhD, I was really working very closely with the Department of Defense. Um, so my PhD work focused on um, how do engineering teams function inside of bureaucracy and hierarchy. Uh, so I spent a lot of time embedded with you know these teams that had soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, um, you know all of these these uniformed folks who are working on really hard problems and then deploying them across really large a really large organization. And so. For me, you know, I you know was at Stanford, but I understood the military, and that alone is a really unique combination. Um, and I had done a entrepreneurial fellowship um, at Stanford; it's the Threshold uh, Entrepreneurs Fellows, and so I understood kind of the start of what it would take to start a company. Um, and I knew that, you know, when you start a company, you need some sort of competitive advantage. Um, and for me, that wasn't necessarily going to come from technology, but it came instead from my 
intersection of different industries. I understood how the Department of Defense functioned. I understood, you know, throughout my engineering training, I had come to understand sensors really well, especially space-based sensors, because I had always been really interested in it. Um, and I understood the world of startups. And that combination is very rare. So I realized, okay, if I can find a, you know, gap in the industry in this intersection, I personally will be the best person to start that company because I have, you know, networks and expertise in each of these different areas. Um, and so I started Geosite, which, you know, is a, a software company that builds end user applications for non-technical users to interface with spatial data. So everything from satellites to ground sensors um, to drone data, et cetera, you can imagine all of that data is very hard to work with. Um, but if you're somebody who is, you know, working out in the field and you need access to that information, you need non-technical uh, applications to do so. And so that's that's what we build. And, you know, having the understanding of the space industry being able to work with the defense market, uh, and then also, you know, understanding the world of startups, you know, there's, you know, we were able to grow extremely quickly, um, especially because the US Department of Defense is like a huge portion of the geospatial market. Um, if you're starting a company and you're working with any sort of geospatial data, they're going to be the biggest first customer. Uh, and so for us, that has given us a tailwind uh, that we don't see in a lot of other companies in our industry, which is great. So um, the, the theory held up. So I always tell founders, if they're trying to figure out what company to start, um, I always remind them to not just look out at the world and what's needed, but also to think really deeply about what is it that they can do better than anybody else. Um, you know, maybe it's, you know, hey, I understand this user group better than anybody else. Maybe it's I understand this technology better than anybody else. But whatever it is, you know, the strength of the company comes from the founders. And so, you know, it needs to, there needs to be a lot of introspection on, you know, where am I, you know, the most effective? And then that's where you should start your company. And then when investors ask you, you know, hey, why should we invest in you? You can just sit there and say, I am the best person to start this company. You know, I have this rare combination of knowledge um, and, you know, I know that we can actually execute. That's, that's perfect. You, you really match your founder background with the startup needs and, and then startup accelerates, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, it's as a founder, there's so much to learn, like just an immense amount, right? So I've never run a company before Geosite, right? I know you're a multiple, you know, you've, you've founded a couple of companies, but uh, for me, Geosite is my first company. Before Geosite, the largest team I ran was like me and three other students building a robot, right? <laughs> and so, you know, you, building a company is obviously much more complex. You're, you're having to learn, okay, here is how, here's how equity works. Works. Here is how, you know, we want to set up vesting schedules. Here is how, um, you know, how you do a pitch. Here's how you interact with investors. Here's what you look for in a board. Here's what you look for in advisors. Here's what you do. You know, there's so much to learn just about, you know, starting and growing a company that I think if you don't already have a lot of expertise in what you're trying to execute, um, you're trying, you're having to learn too many different things on too many different fronts. And so it's really nice to have at least part of what you're doing be something that 
you know that like you absolutely have down. Um, I think that that allows you to move much faster because for us, you know, I don't have to do as much research on, you know, if we're forming a new partnership with a sensor company and they say, hey, this is what our data looks like. I can sit there and I can go, okay, so they have this resolution over these bands, you know, here is where that might be useful right? Or here's where it's not useful. Or let me, um, you know, here is how much I think customers are willing to pay for that data, because this is, you know, the overall size of, you know, the area of interest for that kind of customer for this data. And so it's going to cost this much. And I can just turn around, like immediately spit out the answer of like, that's going to be too expensive and our customers won't buy it. Um, You know, and I, and I know, you know, we know what we're doing there. Um, And even on the security side, Right. You know, because I've spent so much time with the DOD, I understand their needs in terms of data security. And so then when we work with, you know, like oil and gas companies uh, and they have security concerns, I'm like, hey, here's how we've done multi-level security for the military. Um, Here's how it could work for you guys. Right. And they're just these things that, you know, and so um, the more you can already have a background in what you're about to do, the better. Perfect. And another great factor is uh, outstanding team. And while you're scaling, you need to like scale with A plus people. And as a as a first time founder, how do you experience to get them to your team? And uh, what do you recommend for the founders while they're ready to scale their companies? Yeah, I would say my biggest piece of advice is take your time in picking the people. Like really take your time. So for me, um, I in over the summer of 2017. I knew that I had decided that I was going to start a dual use company and dual use uh, in my industries means um, a tech company that works with the Department of Defense uh, and also works with commercial customers. Um, and so for me, I knew that, okay, there's this world of problems that I might work on. Um, I had a friend who was getting his MBA at Stanford and he was like, Hey, you know, he was active duty Navy SEAL. He was like, I have to go back into the SEAL teams after I finish my MBA. Um, but it would be great to, to work on starting this with you. So I was like, awesome. So I have like somebody who's going in the, into this with me to help me get it started. Um, but you know, we both knew he, he had to go back to the Navy. He couldn't just stay. Um, so, you know, I had, you know, a set of friends who helped me form the idea. Um, but then is the, re- the real search for me was finding a CTO, right? So I'm a mechanical engineer. I like barely could even use my own computer. Um, like I am not a computer or software person. Uh, I'm like, I'm the CEO that turns to my engineering team and goes, I can't figure out why my computer is doing this. Can you please help me? Um, because I, I, you know, the most that I've coded is like MATLAB, right. To do, to do maybe some math. Um, and so for me, I knew that it was really crucial that I get an excellent CTO because there's a lot of trust there. Um, because I, I'm, you know, not the person who is going to be writing the software or making any decisions about our architecture, um, I really took my time finding a CTO. Um, So like I said, I started thinking about the company in 2017. We got our first check in mid-2018 as when I got my pre-seed check. And, you know, during that time, I was just doing market analysis. I was talking to customers. I was talking to competitors. I was talking to everybody. And this was pre-launch. And I think that the beautiful thing about taking that time um, is that you're not rushing into building a product just because you're excited about it. Um, And there there are lots of ups and downs to that. And so, you know, during that time, I, I had already started started my search, um, you know, and over the course of that year, I still actually hadn't found anybody. Um, and part of that is, you know, I knew that they had to be brilliant. They had to understand the technology we were going to work with. 
Um, and we had to you know, work really well together. And then we had an additional constraint, which is especially hard here in the Bay Area, of they had to be a U.S. citizen. Um, and not have dual citizenship um, because, you know, our first contracts were going to be with the Department of Defense and um, you can have foreign nationals work on things, but it's more complex uh, and especially not as your CTO. It, it They just they won't work with you. And so it was really hard because I had many friends who would have been fantastic CTOs, um, but, you know, they were dual citizens or not U.S. citizens or, you know, and it, that was really, really hard. Um, and then Dan, our CTO, reached out to me and he was like, hey, I'm getting out of the army. Um, and he was one of the engineers I had studied in the Pentagon. And so, you know, he and I had met there and I had seen his work um, and I knew, you know, other people that had worked with him and, you know, did my reference checks. So I was like, hey, I spent time with him, but what was it like actually working with him? Um, and was able to to really do my homework. And um, so he ended up joining the team uh, January 2019. So that's basically 18 months without a CTO. And, you know, after he joined, um, before that, I had used some contract engineers to build out prototypes. But, you know, to, to kind of stop gap. Um, but, and I, I actually recommend that if you need to like hire contractors to do things for you that you can't do yourself. Um, if you haven't found that right person yet, but really, really take your time. And we still do. Um, so then we went from the two of us to four people by the end of YC. Um, and then end of 2019, we were at 13 people and now we're at about 25. And so, um, and with each person, we go through a really long hiring process because, you know, I always, the way I always explain it to my team is we're going to spend more time working on geosite than we're going to spend doing anything else for the foreseeable future. Like, are these the people that you want to spend your time with? So not just are they brilliant, but are they good people? Are these people that like you want to like be in the trenches with? Um, and I think that a lot of folks get into the trap of, yeah, but they're really good at their job, but they're jerks. And so they work with these jerks anyway. And it's like, you know, it's life is short. It's not worth it. Um, find somebody who's brilliant and good. Um, so, yeah, I my biggest advice is take your time and be very, very patient um, in, in finding co like, you know, whether it's finding your co-founder or finding those first few employees. Um, but, you know, I was a solo founder for quite a long time. And I, you know, I really am happy with that decision. I think as a founder, you need a lot of support, but it doesn't have to be your co-founders, right? So I have like a CEO bestie uh, and she runs a tech company that's a couple years ahead of mine. Um, and, you know, I have a crew of friends who are all entrepreneurs or founders and, um, you know, you can, you can find support in other ways. I think there's, you know, a lot of folks say, well, you can't do it alone because it's really hard. And it's like, yeah, I agree. You absolutely cannot do it alone. But that does not mean bring on a co-founder that you're not 100% positive about. I get it. I get it. And you, you joined the YC as well. And most of the founders are just want to be in the YC badge. So how is it to be in YC badge? And what's the formula? Actually, you, you said all yeah. of the things of the formula till now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just want to hear about the details. Yeah, I think, you know, I really enjoyed Y Combinator. I actually, um, so I was contemplating raise, or we were ready to raise our seed round um, in fall 
fall of 2018. And, um, you know, I had a friend who had just gone through YC the year prior um, and they they had really enjoyed it and thought it was worthwhile. And especially because we are Geosite is in a very unique industry, um, given that we touch, you know, heavy industry like, you know, energy, you know, everything from like geothermal to oil and gas. And then we work with the military and, you know, we work with these industries that, you know, we're not a consumer app. Right. And so it's, it was going to be harder to raise anyway. Um, and so they recommended YC and, you know, we got into the batch. I, I really enjoyed my time at YC. I think they have a lot of really great lessons that they teach just kind of on, you know, what does it mean to be a startup? Like, I think, you know, it's, it's not the same as running a small company. Right. There's if you're if you're raising venture capital, fundamentally you are a different kind of company than a small bootstrapped company. Um, because you have these other folks with a vested interest in how you have to grow, what speed you have to grow, all of those things. And it was really nice to to learn all of that or have it reinforced. Um, for me, I was really lucky that the the folks that wrote our pre-seed check, which we had actually gotten a small amount of investment before YC, um, they were heavily involved. And and they still are. I like talk to them almost every day. Um, we've been lucky to have great investors. So for me, the the level of mentorship wasn't as high because it wasn't as necessary. Um, I didn't reach out to them. But for a lot of founders, um, you know, the partners are really, really helpful. They genuinely want to see all the companies succeed. And so um, it's a great place to find mentorship. In terms of like the formula, I think one of the things that I see companies fail at the most in terms of like the YC fit is being really dedicated to what you're doing. So, um, you know, if, if your team isn't quitting your full-time jobs to do this, or if your team is, you know, doing it while in school or is doing it, you know, while doing other things or multiple startups, they, you know, they really shy away from that and, and you're unlikely to get in. And I, I actually really agree with them using that metric. A startup is extraordinarily difficult. Um, you know, it, it takes everything and you know, this, you've done it a couple times. It, you know, it has to be, you know, when you're washing the dishes or taking a shower or on a walk, like it has to be the, the thing that you're mulling over in the back of your head. There are so many problems to be solved. There's so much strategy to be said that if your brain is multitasking on multiple things, um, you know, and I'm not saying that you, you should do nothing, but your startup, cause that's like a mental health issue, but like it, it has to be where your primary focus is. And so, you know, YC knows that. And if founders don't seem incredibly dedicated, um, they won't accept them. The second piece to that is, you know, like I said, startups are really hard, not just hard in terms of there's a lot to think about, but also emotionally hard. There's a lot of highs, a lot of lows. It's, you know, extraordinarily um, taxing to start a company. And I think if you don't care enough about what you're doing with your startup, you aren't going to make it, right? You're going to end up quitting because running a startup kind of sucks. Like it is extremely stressful. You don't like you're, you know, especially, you know, during their certain inflection points, you're not sleeping a lot. You have, you know, a ton, a ton of, you know, weight on you from investors, from employees, from customers. It's, it is a very stressful thing to run a company. And so I think that if you're working on a problem that you don't care enough about to make it the only thing you're working on, 
you probably haven't picked a problem that you care about enough to subject yourself to starting a company. Um, and so you're not going to end up like really diving into it. You'll always be hedging, um, which which I don't think works very well. I get it. I get it. Perfect. And for the culture elements you are setting up, your startup and for your team, what are your topics for your culture? Yeah. So I think the best way to, or the first way to make sure that you have a good culture on your team, um, you know, goes back to what I was talking about earlier with who you let onto your team, right? So I think that's the first step. Um, you can't, I think the culture comes from the team rather than vice versa. It's not like you can set up a culture and then throw people in and they like suddenly become part of the culture. Uh, like, you know, the team is the culture, right? And so for us, we we have a four-step hiring process. And it's the third step that, that is really crucial to this. So we do a phone screen, we do a technical interview, uh, we do a fit interview, and then we do a hands-on task. And the fit interview, you know, luckily, luckily for my team, they have a organizational theorist as the CEO. So I, you know, I've done a ton of research on team composition and on what creates a great team. Um, because that's what I did on my PhD work. And so we have all sorts of questions in there to get at a handful of things. You know, the first is, is this a person who is passionate about what they do? doesn't matter what it is that they're doing. I think there are people who tend to throw themselves into projects more fully. Um, and so we look for, you know, tell us about something that, you know, you were so that you were really excited about. Like, what is your favorite thing that you've ever worked on? Right. And we look for, do they like light up? Do they really engage with what they've done in the past? Uh, is work something that drives them? Because work is absolutely something that drives the rest of us on our team. Um, and then we look for, you know, what is their style of communication? Are they collaborative? Because we all tend to be very collaborative. Um, and, you know, of course, how do they handle arguments? We like to talk about, and and this is a part, this comes from kind of the Stanford culture, uh, intellectual integrity or intellectual vitality, actually, is what, G or is what Stanford calls it. And it's this idea that um, part of what, you know, gives you life or like makes you fulfilled is this, you know, constant chasing down of various information. Like you really want to understand things. And I think if you're the kind of person who really wants to understand things, you're often also the kind of person who is willing to admit when you don't know things uh, because you get very quick at that. So everybody on our team, you know, feels extremely comfortable turning to each other and being like, hey, I don't understand this at all. Can you explain it to me? Or like, you know, we, there's no ego attached to knowledge on our team. Um, and that's really important to us. And, and we filter for that as we bring people on. And then I think we do a really good job of modeling it for the team. So our, you know, our leadership team, which is really, you know, myself, our CTO and our lead geospatial engineer, you know, we have intellectual arguments all the time. Uh, in front of the team all the time. Um, and, you know, at the, even though like on the surface, like we are like absolutely like ripping each other's ideas to shreds, it's completely, you know, the base of it and what it's, you know, the reason it's possible to have those discussions is because of deep, deep trust and respect, right? The reason why we're, you know, deciding whether or not to do things one way versus the other is because I trust that person to have the right motivations and I respect their expertise. And so, you know, there's a lot of debate on our team. I think it helps that there's a lot of PhDs on our team and it's a very academic uh, sort of um, culture to, you know, to rip each other's ideas to shreds, but it be based in the fact that like, hey, if I, you know, I'm only critiquing you because I care about you, right? If I didn't care about you, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. 
yep, you know. Uh, and so I think on our team, there's this this engagement of like, hey, if you care about me, you're going to engage with my ideas and try to find the holes in them. Because if you don't find the holes in them, and we deploy this, or you don't find the holes in them, and this doesn't work, like, you know, we're all worse off. So um, yeah, I think you have to filter for the culture. And then you have to uh, constantly model the behavior that you want to see on your team. I get it. And my other question is on the fundraising side. After a price round, and if a board member comes to you most of the time, a lead investor. So for founders ready to get the fundraising on the price round, mostly how to select a specific partner to work on? Yeah. So I think similar to picking your co-founders and your team, um, Picking investors who you really, really, really like is very important. Um, I had there's a one of the instructors I had at Stanford um, during like a, a startup course. He kind of kind of jokingly, but I think it was kind of terrible, but it it sticks in my head all the time. He said, um, "I have had to get an investor off of a cap table and had to get a divorce, um, and the divorce was easier." Um, so you know, we we like to joke that like once you're once you have an investor, you are stuck with them until the company exits, right? Or until you leave the company or until they leave, right? Like it is, you know, I always like to picture it as a boat. Like we we're, you know, Geosite is this boat. And like, if you invite an investor onto that boat, like they are there with you, they are not getting off. Um, and so, you know, be really discerning about who you want on your cap table. And I know that that's easier said than done because there are a lot of startups who are like, hey, if they're going to write a check, we're happy with it. Like whatever we got funded, let's keep moving. Um, but you know, I've had really, really great relationships with my investors. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, you know, in terms of trying to pick which, you know, partners to to go after, I find that most of them have blogs, um, or tweet or post stuff on LinkedIn, or they have somewhere, hopefully, where they're making their ideas public and their thoughts public. Um, and I, I tend to consume a lot of that to see, okay, how does this person think? How do they think? What do they think about? What are their priorities? Um, what do they care about? And you can get a really good feel for um, you know, what type of information and guidance they'll be able to give you as an investor based on what types of guidance they're putting out there publicly. Um, and so you know, for me, usually by the time I'm you know, getting an intro to a VC, I have you know, read up on whatever I could about them. And if if there isn't any like thought leadership that they've put out there, um, you can also look at their their current portfolio. So I'll look for um, especially you know for our company because we leverage so much spatial data. I will look for partners who have you know serve on boards of companies that are producing data or who are analyzing data or you know work with startups in our our industries, right? So any sort of like heavy industrial settings. Um, and then, and then from there, you know, then you, then you hone in on them. And of course, you know, what I always encourage founders is in that first meeting with the investor, they should be pitching you, not just you pitching them. Like you should actually ask them, like, you know, what do you feel you bring to the table for the startups where you're on the board? Like what kind of, what is, what is the advice you think you give the most, right? How often do you engage with your founders? You know, what is your involvement, you know, in raising the next round? How, you know, what are times when you've had to help a startup get out of a bind? Can you tell me that story? Um, and so I think it's really fair 
to to flip the table and interview the investor. And I think it's it's really good to do so. And if you don't feel comfortable in the first meeting, definitely do it by the time that you know you're looking at at taking an investment from them and, and do your homework on them. So call up companies that you know they don't serve on the board anymore, but they used to, um, and say, hey, you know. How are they on the board? You know, what was it like? Um, did you enjoy having them? And um, just like you would with with a teammate, right? Doing reference checks. Great point. And most of the founders may be thinking about this kind of luxury, uh, but it's not a luxury because if you do if you do the checks, like founders start off with your uh, core assess match and those kind of stuff, and then it's not a luxury for a founder. I think yeah. it's the right thing. Absolutely, and a really good investor can like they're much more than capital right like i you know my first investors they basically like put me through baby ceo school right they're like hey rachel here's how you do this thing right or hey rachel here is a you know so b partners was my first investor they'll be like here is our you know equity comp survey right that we've done of a bunch of startups here's how much they're paying people right and it's like that's so helpful because having to come up with all that stuff by yourself is really really hard and so you know back to you know you can only learn so many things at once having a VC who's helping you answer like questions is really, really helpful. And so, you know, for me, it's that or, you know, we have investors who have a ton of industry knowledge. And so I'll go to them and I'll be like, hey, um, we're talking to this company and I don't understand this thing that they said. And they're like, oh, well, here's the context around that. Or, oh, here are the other technologies in the market that you may not be tracking or, you know, whatever. Um, and so they can be a huge source of information. And, um, you know, if you have a VC, you know, you could have a VC who's just dead weight on the cap table and that's fine. It's not harmful, um, but it's not helpful either. And then in the worst case, you have a VC who, you know, actively makes your job harder. And I would say there are a lot of really um, seemingly innocuous, but actually very harmful things that VCs can do. And they think they're being helpful, but they're not. One thing I saw a lot of VCs do right after, you know, in mid-March, right, as COVID was, as people were starting to see that COVID was a really big deal, was, you know, reaching out to all their founders and being like, how much cash do you have on hand? What is your current situation? What is your burden? Can we do layoffs? And it's like, I know that they're trying to protect the companies and trying to make sure that the companies are, you know, making fast enough maneuvers to get through a global crisis. But the founders are already thinking those things. The founders are already checking what's going to happen. You know, having, you know, six people on their cap table reach out to them and say, hey, are we prepared for this? Are we going to be okay? Uh, that's just going to make them anxious, right? And so um, I think sometimes VCs pick odd times to reach out. Um, I mean, for us, what we ended up doing, because I mean, we work in oil and gas, right? And oil and gas, you know, there was the, the oil price war going on and demand for oil dropped, you know, rapidly. And, you know, the market was doing really, really poorly. Um, and so for us, I was like, okay, all of our investors are going to have questions. And so I just made a COVID deck. And I was like, here you go, everybody. Here's everything that's going on. We're going to be totally fine. Here are like our current bookings. Here's the stuff we're doing on the government side, like, you know, whatever. And so, so I could have that conversation, but, um, you know, or when VCs like email their founders, um, like an article about a competitor. Right. And it's like, I guarantee they're already tracking that. 
Like, so, you know, it's, it's little things like that where we're inexperienced investors, I think sometimes don't know how to be helpful. And so they end up just stressing out their founders. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's good to make sure that you have really good people around you. That's great. And my last question is what's next for Geosite and how is, how is COVID is affecting your plans? Yeah. So for us, you know, we, we actually just had a really big announcement a couple weeks ago. Um, that's like <laughs> probably a very esoteric announcement. There's like a small fraction of people who really understood it. Um, but we got our first indefinite duration, indefinite quantity uh, contract with the U.S. government. Uh, and so it's on a program of record. It has a $950 million ceiling. Um, you know, we're really, really excited about that. So for what's what's next for us is uh, leveraging that to to do a lot of stuff next year. Um, we're, we're very excited about what our numbers will look like. Um, you know, in terms of COVID and our commercial side, our first, you know, the, the great thing about what we've built is Geosite's platform is framed around this idea of aggregating spatial data, you know, putting really tight data governance around it to control who has access to it, and then making it accessible through, you know, web applications for non-technical users. Um, the good news about having a product that has kind of this core thesis that is extensible to different industries and different applications is that, you know, our first application on the commercial side, um, which had a really, really wonderful traction, was built around uh, new construction, mineral rights companies, you know, doing exploration and things like that. All of that stopped this year. Um, and we had, you know, a handful of customers declare bankruptcy, right? So the, the market shifted very rapidly. Um, but for us, we were like, okay, what else can we do for the market? And, you know, we realized, yes, you know, people aren't doing a lot of new construction, but there's a lot more attention on trying to mitigate methane emissions. And in the world of methane, it's the exact same problem we saw with visual spectrum data. So tons of different sensors picking up methane data, you know, ground sensors, you know, drone-based, aerial-based, space-based, you name it. And then there are these end operators who are having to make these decisions about how to mitigate any sort of accidental leaks. And so, you know, for us, we were able to just launch a new application fairly quickly. And so then now we're, we're doing well again. Um, and so, you know, we were, we were excited about that. So, What's up for us for 2021 is really um, continuing to scale our government work um, and and working really closely with our first few customers on you know the launch of this methane product. So it's very we're we're really excited for next year and of course to finish uh, closing our Series A, which we just kicked off uh, I think like a week and a half ago. Perfect, Rachel. It's really nice having you and thank you for coming to Farmers. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank. By the way, you can order Founders FAQ from the website. It covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.